A good Tuesday morning to you on this September 7th. This episode of Real Talk is presented by our presenting sponsors at Bitcoin Well, Planet Earth's first ever publicly traded Bitcoin ATM company based out of Edmonton with Bitcoin ATMs across the country. You know what they're really great at? They're great at answering questions, and I know that because I've got a lot of questions about Bitcoin, and I've yet to find one that they've been unable to answer. We're proud to partner with them. You can do your own research, tap into their resources, and of course, learn more about how you can safely and conveniently buy and sell and better understand Bitcoin by following the Sponsors tab right at the top of the page on our website at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's good to be back with you, friends. It's been a while. We had a week away, and uh, I can tell you we've been chomping at the bit to get back here, looking forward to, to gathering together and to sharing our thoughts. There's a lot to talk about, of course, and we lead off today with an announcement on Friday, Alberta's uh, back into various forms and, and and efforts of addressing what is now undeniably a fourth wave of COVID-19. My friends, it's a new low. I mean, what do you even say anymore? Alberta, under the leadership of Premier Jason Kenney, leads the country per capita in COVID cases. ICUs, uh, in many circumstances, based on numbers that we're seeing from public health professionals, over 90 percent capacity and vaccine trends are totally stalled out. And so I know that I don't have to tell you that the premier's solution to this, as announced on Friday uh, alongside Alberta's chief medical officer of health and Alberta's health minister, Tyler Shandro, is uh, a somewhat ridiculous $100 gift card scheme to motivate the unvaccinated to do their duty. And to get the shot, there, there are other measures coming into place as well. A, a province wide mask mandate is back. And uh, of course, houses of hospitality, bars and restaurants are, are back to a 10 p.m. liquor curfew because don't you know, COVID doesn't spread after 10 p.m. $100 gift cards for people who believe that COVID-19 is, is a, a pandemic. You, you've heard it. People who believe that it's a scamdemic, people who think that there are microchips in the needles, people who are skeptical about the science behind a vaccine, but not about the science of repurposing malaria medication or medication for horses, for that matter. People who pack churches when prohibited, people who protest healthcare workers outside hospitals, people who rip doctors and nurses and respiratory technicians. $100 gift cards are going to change their mind. A few days ago, Premier Kenny, I'm sure desperate for some positive headline, awarded one of his million-dollar Lottovax prizes, interviewed the winner on social media. That's where Kenny's making himself available these days, right? A Facebook Live after disappearing for a couple of weeks in the middle of a fourth wave. Twitter interviews. Won't take questions from reporters, at least not tough ones. You may remember that when it came to the the idea of this lotto vax, these million dollar prizes, I actually supported the idea back when it was introduced. And, and as a matter of fact, I still do as part of a strategic plan to educate and to inform the public around the, you know, the efficacy and the science and the benefit 
of vaccines. When you think about it, a million dollars really isn't a lot of money for a government that'll, you know, spend about $45 billion every year by way of budget, especially if it motivates thousands of people to get vaccinated. I mean, I think you can make a really strong argument, as a matter of fact, that investing a million dollars into a lotto vax could probably provide more return on your investment than spending a million dollars on billboards. Ideally, you would do both. So I was curious to know how you would feel about this gift card plan. Keep in mind those that are already vaccinated, the 70 percent or so uh, in our home province of Alberta, of Alberta, the 70 percent of Albertans that did their part to try to get COVID under control and to ease pressure on hospitals and healthcare workers in, in virtually every sector, economic and otherwise, you don't qualify for the hundred dollar reward. And I don't think that most of you care about that. I don't get the sense that you do. This is a plan that, if it worked, could cost Albertans more than $100 million, this gift card plan. That's about as much as Alberta's finance minister, Travis Taves, figures the province can save by cutting nurses' salaries. As a matter of fact, it's almost the exact same amount. But, of course, it's not going to work. I mean, you really think a measly 100 bucks? is going to change somebody's mind, somebody that's gone this long and this far without doing their part? Now, before we get into my unofficial unscientific Twitter poll, I want to let you know that, of course, each and every week, we present our Get Real, our question of the week. Uh, we presented in partnership with our official research and strategy partners at Y Station, and we've pulled an audible we changed it up. We were taking the question of the week in a bit of a different direction, but it's obvious what we need to ask you about right now. We've got our finger on the pulse of the province of the country, and this is what people are talking about. ICUs are packed. Hospitals are filling up. The fourth wave's in full swing. We're back to masks and alcohol sales restrictions, and, and, we're, and we're giving the unvaccinated 100 bucks to go get a shot that 70% of you have already got twice. And so we want to know how you feel about this latest section of the COVID roller coaster. What should we do next and whether or not we should have seen this coming? And of course, we want to know what you think that we should call this public payoff. If the $400 checks that many of us received about 15 years ago, just over 15 years ago, are Ralph bucks, what, what are these $100 gift cards? What should we call them? I'm going with Bumble's bucks tapping into the nickname that Jason Kenny earned while in Ottawa. So after this announcement on Friday, I pushed out an unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll to gauge where you're at. You can follow me at Ryan Jesperson. More than 9,000 of you chimed in. I appreciate it. The results, as you can see, are decisive. 90% of the 9,400 votes, 9,387, 90% do not support the $100 incentive. And I invited you to leave a comment along with your vote. And, and more than 500 of you took me up on that. And I wanted to get to some of the tweets that jumped out at me because I've got a lot to say, but you've got a lot to say, too. So here are some of the comments that you left us on social media. I saw this from Jason Schilling, president of the Alberta Teachers Association. Says, so let me get this straight. I did everything asked of me. I didn't see family for 18 months. I kept my cohort small. I waved at loved ones through a screen 
I got vaccinated to protect myself and others. I did all the right things. And the people who send me hate mail get a hundred bucks. How about this from LB who said, uh, so now how many like rights and freedoms, my body, my choice, grace, life, church, microchip. It's just a flu pandemic. Keys are sticking to my neck. People are going to get vaxxed for a hundred bucks. LEB calls it a Kenny bribe. Wonders what would you do for a Klondike bar? Lizanne says, I just don't understand the rationale. So the vaccinated and the unvaccinated can eat and drink together for hours, but then they have to stop at 10 p.m. I mean, how does that prevent the spread? The spread COVID doesn't come out until 10. This one from lawyer Eric Denhoff says, I think for an Alberta nurse, having the government cut your salary in the middle of a pandemic, cancel your vacation, demand you work overtime, and then offer anti-vax protesters spitting on you as you go to work a hundred bucks would be well galling. That from Eric. Glenn, in maybe the tweet of the month, proclaimed Jason Kenny just announced an equalization payment from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated tweet of the month right there. Elizabeth Cherney Booth said, don't get it lost on you that the Alberta government bent over backwards to make stampede happen, but is essentially canceling pride. And then Britt jumped in and said also canceling National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. You know, Alberta is not recognizing the stat on September 30th. There were other comments as well. We saw more tweets. I mean, we saw more than 500 of them. Chris Turner, an author out of Calgary, said, I have no expectation of compassion, competence, basic decency from Jason Kenny. Zero. The bar lies on the ground and he slithers under it every time. Turner says he's the worst executive level politician I've seen in this country in my lifetime. And it is not close. Joel Teeling, strong conservative on Twitter. Wrote today, Jason Kenney decided to slap 70% of Albertans who are fully vaccinated in the face while simultaneously offering a reward to those who have refused vaccines. Rewards for the unvaxxed, restrictions for the rest of us. Thanks for nothing, Jason. Please resign. That from Joel Teeling. Shane Bicek, strong conservative out of Calgary, says, I did what was asked of me. Now we've got to bow down to those who choose to avoid the vaccine for whatever reason. Now, once again, society has to react to them. Screw that, says Shane. Those 20% can stay home and search for their conspiracy theories. Not me. I'm sick of this shit. That from Shane. And Andrew Leach, this is a good one. Says a bottle of Jameson's to any reporter who asks the premier why any of them think people will respond to financial incentives to get vaccinated while insisting that carbon pricing doesn't work. Leach had to get that into there. Here are a couple more. Ricardo Acuna, you've heard him on the show before, says it's truly shocking how easy it is for Jason Kennedy to find $100 million for his unvaccinated friends and how impossible it is for him to find any money for public education, for Alberta health. Ricardo says priorities, right? And this from one of my favorite Twitter accounts, the Alberta md war room wonders are the six hundred thousand unvaccinated kids going to get a hundred dollars a dose when they're allowed to get them or is that just for the crowd outside the hospital the protesters wayne arthurson an author out of edmonton says jason kenny says it's not time for moral judgments but i think it's the perfect time because anti-vaxxers have been judging me calling me sheeple ignoring science blocking hospitals and putting my family and friends at risk with basic selfishness. That from Wayne, who's hit his limit when it comes to sympathy. It's abundantly clear 
real talkers that Jason Kenny has completely lost the room. It's abundantly clear that people do not trust him to govern with their best interests in mind. Plainly put, people do not trust Jason Kenny, period. I mean, keep in mind, this is a guy who accused people, and we've got a special edition of Eat Your Words coming up on Thursday, presented by Prairie Catering. I'm already ready to go on that one. A premier that accused people, journalists, that predicted or indicated concern around a looming fourth wave as promoters of fear. I mean, this is a guy who couldn't help himself from calling this the best summer ever. Doubling down amid rising cases and hospitalizations, right? Having staffers like his executive director of communications, Brock Harrison, and and Stephen Harper's kid, Ben, rub the slogan in the public's face with smug posts on Twitter and Instagram with their best summer ever hats. With Alberta counting more than a thousand new cases every day. You know, Jason Kenney's United Conservative Party continued to sell best summer ever hats on their website. Even last week. And who will forget the premier's executive director of issues management, Matt Wolf, dismissing concerns around a looming fourth wave back in June, declaring the pandemic is ending. Accept it. That didn't age well. This is a guy, the premier, that has forced Albertans to go out of their way to demonstrate outrage before backing off some of these harebrained plans. And I'm not even talking about open pit coal mining in the Rocky Mountains or or giving MLA's ministers and staffers a pass for tropical vacations during a travel advisory or for taking Alberta's celebrated school system back 75 years With this disastrous curriculum development, I'm even talking about that. I'm talking about attempting to end contact tracing, pulling COVID numbers out of public view, allowing people who've tested positive for COVID-19 to move about society without hindrance, endangering the hundreds of thousands of unvaccinated kids and vulnerable citizens with, with precarious health conditions and others. This is Alberta's back over a thousand new cases a day, undeniably a Delta variant driven fourth wave. Political pundits have not been kind to the premier over the past number of days. Don Braid wrote the bizarre payout to unvaccinated people is about the kookiest thing an Alberta government has ever done. Desperate from any angle. Rick Bell who's been very kind to this premier wrote Kenny falls to gobsmacking low bribing the unvaccinated conservative columnist Leisha Corbella the UCP's vaccine bribery scheme is no carrot or stick it's a slap in the face to the already vaccinated and then there are the rodeos in Pinoca and at Dane's Ranch, and in Airdrie, and in Benalto, all of them announcing on Saturday that they'd secured exemptions to the 10 p.m. liquor curfews that had been announced on Friday. You know, it would be funny if it wasn't so insulting, so appalling, so predictable. 
Organizers of Calgary Pride just about blew a gasket when they learned of those exemptions. And again, they and others had to cause a public stink before somebody at Alberta Health reached out and pulled a few strings to ensure that they, you know, the festival celebrating gay and lesbian and trans and queer people before they secured the same treatment with an exemption. Our email inbox has been absolutely slammed over the past number of days. And I obviously don't have time to reach, you know, to get into each and every one. But here are some of the comments that jumped out at me over the past few days. Darren wrote in to say, I am the conservative base. He spells it out. Darren says, I'm I'm white, male. I live in the suburbs and I have a career in the private sector. I'm fiscally conservative. I like limited government, individual economic freedoms wherever possible. I'm the vote they never worry about having. But after Kenny's press conference on Friday, I'm done. I'm a free agent. Says, I feel worse since Friday, Ryan, than I can recall feeling at any time since this pandemic hit. I feel depressed, defeated, and angry. I can't get the pandemic out of my mind. I think about healthcare workers, and I wonder how they must feel as hospitals now fill with the unvaccinated and elective surgeries are being canceled. And then I think about those people that are waiting for those surgeries that might restore mobility or, or might renew their quality of life. And they've paid for the system to be there for them, and it's not. And then I think of restaurant workers, and I think of restaurant owners that are so impacted financially by this 10 o'clock curfew. I mean, how much more can they take? Darren says vaccine passports are obvious, except to the premier. The obvious next step, we need to strip away as much discretionary participation in everyday life as possible to nudge the anti-vaxxers. Life needs to look better on the vaccinated side of the fence. Recreation, dining, travel, job opportunities, says Darren, should be limited for those that choose to remain unvaccinated. In the words of blogger Susan Wright, you know, Susan's been on the show, Susan on the soapbox. He says anything less is immoral. He says, I will hold my nose and vote against the conservatives next election day. That from Darren. Jessica CC'd us to talk at RyanJesperson.com on her email to the premier. She signs off as a lifelong progressive conservative supporter, says, have you lost your mind, premier? She says, you need to engage with constituents, with your MLAs. And most importantly, the majority of Albertans who think this is nuts to limit the movement of people who have done the right thing. Jessica says, in your honor, Premier, I will cast my federal vote for another party. And today I plan to donate to your opposition for the next provincial election. As a matter of fact, I will donate $100 today for your ignorance. That from former lifelong PC supporter Jessica. Willie wrote in, she says, uh, Premier. What pisses me off is my 86-year-old mother having to wait another year for her hip replacement because misinformed people refuse to get vaccinated, causing surges in COVID, claiming more ICU beds, regular hospital beds. My mom's already been waiting since February. The surgeon's hands are tied. We don't blame him. Constant pain is in itself harmful to those in need of these so-called non-essential surgeries. That from Willie. Natalie wrote in to say, I'm emailing today to express deep disappointment with the government announcement on Friday. I, I could not imagine 
that this UCP government could actually go lower than they've already gone. But the fact they're rewarding those who have waited this long to receive a vaccine is unfathomable. What about 100 bucks for the Albertans who actually did the right thing? Albertans who got the vaccine when it was first available to them. Why would you not entertain the idea to restrict access to non-essential services for unvaccinated Albertans as opposed to punishing responsible citizens? Natalie says, I'm a nurse and I work at an ICU in an Edmonton hospital and I am exhausted. I am frustrated and I am completely discouraged that this government has done so little to prevent the third and fourth waves in Alberta. In fact, I would say, says Natalie, these policies over the past few months actually created the health crisis we face today. That's from Natalie, who's likely at work today in an ICU. Rishma wrote in to say the idea that people who either refuse or haven't bothered to get vaccinated will now be awarded with $100 for doing something that I went out of my way to do this past spring is nothing shy of outrageous. I got vaccinated to protect myself and others. Protecting public health is the right and responsible thing to do. For those who have held out and, and put our healthcare system in crisis to be awarded for their irresponsibility is beyond insulting. And it's especially disheartening to hear the government claim that they need to cut nurses' salaries while somehow coming up with money to financially incentivize unvaccinated people who have thumbed their noses at public health policy. It's gross. Rishma says the optics of cutting public servants pay people who've gone above and beyond to incentivize incentivize tinfoil hatters is disgusting. What's next? Horse dewormer as an official remedy for COVID-19. Will this be included in the new draft curriculum? Rishma says I'm ashamed to be an Albertan today. We're supposed to take care of each other through a crisis, not reward the people who refuse to contribute to our communities. Premier, your government has failed us, and I expect you to stand up and do better. You were supposed to lead with humility, not self-service, and today would be a good day to start. Curtis. Curtis CC'd us on an email to every minister in Premier Kenny's cabinet says, I just received my latest communique from your party, the news you can use, so to speak, the newsletter dated September 4th. Says the bravery it takes to constantly attack and villainize hardworking public servants when and however possible can only be surpassed by actively working to subvert their working conditions and cut back their wages. Premier your continued focus on cooking up tidy slogans like the best summer ever when every policy action guarantees the sad, ironic opposite is a testament to your astounding ability to do the wrong thing at the wrong time every time. That from Curtis, who went on to say, all in all, the UCP's tenure in office is inspiring in its seemingly effortless ability to subvert any opportunity for meaningful and effective leadership. He says, I count myself as fortunate. Thank you for making it so thoroughly and completely clear just how empty and dangerous your leadership is, Premier. And thank you for making it abundantly clear through words and actions that not only your leadership, not only your party, but your brand of conservatism as a whole is not only ineffective, but proactively dangerous. 
thank you for what you've done to let me know I must look elsewhere now for the leadership that Alberta needs and deserves. This is like the tip of the iceberg of the emails we've got. Jason Kenney's not even pretending anymore to govern or care for an entire province. You always hear that from politicians, right? I'm not elected to lead my supporters. I'm not elected to work for the people that voted for me. I'm elected to work for everybody. That's not the case here. $100 just for the people that waited this long to get vaccinated. Exemptions for beer gardens at rodeos. Jason Kenney is unabashedly providing preferential treatment for a base that continues to dwindle and shrink. He's the lowest polling premier in the country. He's turning over rocks. He's trying to find wins. I mean, this is a premier. This is a government that recently passed legislation to allow for the arrest of demonstrators outside critical infrastructure and then did absolutely nothing to address disgusting, deplorable protests outside hospitals targeting exhausted healthcare workers. You tell me. What infrastructure is more critical during a pandemic than a hospital? How much longer can Premier Jason Kenney allow his hatred for the Prime Minister, for Justin Trudeau, to cloud his judgment and direct his policy, giving a hard no to these so-called vaccine passports? Alberta's the outlier here. I mean, how much longer can he possibly justify punishing business owners and the general public that has endured so much over the past year and a half by pandering to the stubborn fools who refuse to do their part and get vaccinated? So what to do? We ask you what you would do in our question of the week. It's right at the top of the page, RyanJesperson.com. I encourage you. We're hoping to see thousands of you respond to this one. I know you've got a lot to say on this. As far as I'm concerned, it's simple. Open everything up. Provide a clear and easily accessible resource for citizens to prove that they're double vaxxed. And implement tough measures. Don't make small business owners do it themselves. Implement tough measures that demand you be vaccinated if you want to move freely and go about your business. Don't force a small business owner at a coffee shop or a lounge or a bowling alley or a movie theater or a dry cleaner, an oil lube and filter shop, whatever, grocery store. Don't force them to hire somebody else out of their slim profit margin to enforce this either. Commit resources, whether it's through Alberta Health, whether it's through the RCMP, whatever it is. And have stiff penalties. You must be vaccinated to enter these public areas. And there's a $10,000 fine. If when asked to provide that proof, you cannot. Make it so people do not mess around. And if you choose not to participate, if you exercise your right to say no to that vaccine that is your choice and you elect to not or to withdraw your participation in society fine by me and i'm sure it would be fine 
with the 7 out of 10 Albertans that have already done their part, and the numbers are better, by the way, elsewhere across Canada, there is less and less sympathy for the unvaccinated with every passing day. Of the hundreds in hospital, including ICUs, the numbers are disproportionately the unvaxxed. It's not even close. You're talking 80, 90 percent of people that are hospitalized, most especially in ICU, unvaccinated. So that means if a city bus has a bad accident or if there's a horrific tragedy on a highway and an ICU needs eight beds free stat, it's not going to happen. They're not there. It means that elective surgeries like Willie's mom there, that hip replacement, those are being pushed. It means resources are not where they are needed. And I shouldn't have to spell this out. And I know for the most part, I don't need to spell this out, except for maybe the premier's benefit and maybe for his cabinet, because it doesn't seem to resonate that surgeries are being delayed and that real lives are being impacted, including the precious life of our next guest, Julie Rohr. Who we're going to get to in just a moment. An absolutely heartbreaking and incredibly powerful Twitter thread posted just a few days ago, four days ago on September 3rd. Julie said, hi, Alberta. I'm an end stage cancer patient. That is tough to read. Dealing with some of the most difficult decisions I'll ever make. I have to get my lung drained in order to breathe. The doc wants me to come to a hospital ER to do the procedure, but hospital ERs have COVID outbreaks. Julie says, I'm trapped. If I get Delta, these lungs are done for. They wouldn't even treat me based on my condition. Do you see how this works? COVID vaccine deniers are getting my bed. The one I need to survive a little longer with my children. And my puppy, she says, here they are. She posts a photo. She says, do you see how this works? Health Minister Chandra, do you, Premier Kenny? Do you see the tears I cry agonizing over this decision? Do you see what happens when you disrespect, undermine, and overall trash our provincial health care workers? This was my worst nightmare, says Julie, to need the ER now. You have any clue how your lack of empathy, ability, or any sort of heart has led you to a complete breakdown of our system? Own it. She says, if I die because I can't get this procedure, I want my story to be read in the legislative assembly, and I want you to apologize to my family. She posts another stunning photo. She says, these are my parents, and they're likely going to have to see their daughter go before them. She says, hey, listen. I know you didn't cause COVID or cancer, but you certainly mishandled it so badly that now people like me may die sooner than we have to. You have screwed up Alberta health. Julie says, look, I'm angry. And anybody who knows Julie knows that this next statement is true as anything ever has been. She says, I'm not one who lives with a victim mentality. She sure isn't pointing fingers and blame at others. It doesn't help me to do that. But in this case, this government needs to be held accountable for this colossal failure to govern and the colossal amount of harm that you've done here. She says, and now because my blood pressure was off the charts to begin with, 
I have to stop for the night. She says, please understand every action has a consequence. Own it. The stampede was a stupid failure. It was the start of the fourth wave. Do better for those who will live on. Do better. That from Julie Rohr, who has graciously agreed to join us this morning. She was one of the first guests that we ever welcomed to Real Talk. She is a member, a founding member of our editorial board. Seeing her face is going to make me cry. We just adore you. And I'm so proud of you. And I haven't even mentioned on Twitter, Jen, the feisty librarian is the, the handle she goes by. You know what I'm talking about, Julie, obviously unprompted by you. I got the impression it was to your surprise over the weekend. She invited people. She didn't even tag you in the tweet. She didn't even tag you. She invited people to start sharing what they loved about you. And I'm just sobbing as I'm reading these. How are you, my friend? I mean, it's so good to see you. Thank you, Ryan, so much for having me on the show. Um, how are you is a complicated question in my life right now. But um, I, I'm currently just absolutely blown away by the response um, to my thread. Um, those of you who have followed me for a while um, know that I'm a frequent tweeter and uh, I had gotten some bad news about my health. And so I said, well, I'm going to take a break from Twitter because I just, I need to focus on like peace and calm and like things that don't work me up so much. But, you know, as you go along, um, I just, I got really angry one day when I got some particularly hard news that I didn't want to hear. Uh, and so I wrote those tweets because it was just, the end of it for me is just, I'm at home I'm scared to go to the hospital to get a very easy treatment that before COVID would have been so simple. Like you just walk in, get it done, walk out. But now with COVID, there's all of these complications. And um, yeah, I was in a, a pretty angry place the day I wrote those tweets. There's been such a difference. And I talked just a few minutes ago about this evolution where, you know, a year ago, Julie, when we would see people hospitalized due to COVID or, or in worst case scenario, people that were intubated in the ICU, uh, people that were induced comas uh, and, and other really precarious positions. These were people that did not have access to a vaccine. I mean, these were people that in, in many circumstances had done everything that they could possibly do. They controlled every factor they possibly could, and they still got sick through no fault of their own, obviously. And the public, I think, had such a sympathy for people in that situation. Now, you take a look, and, and I'm not trying to create some sort of divide. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to create these camps where people start to pile on each other. But there is an undeniable lack of sympathy. And I'm picking up on it, and people are telling me all about it. Because right now, we take a look at who's being hospitalized, and we take a look at who's, who's populating those ICUs. It's like, depending on the hospital... I mean, province-wide, it's like 85% of people that are in ICUs are people that have not been vaccinated. Are you experiencing yeah. that sort of a trend yourself personally with regards to how, how, how a sympathy has sort of evolved? Yeah, I would say I see that happening. I definitely see that happening. And um, I, uh, what I think about that is I don't personally blame 
everyone out there that isn't vaccinated. There's a lot of people who cannot get vaccinated for reasons or what have you. Uh, The children under 12 can't get vaccinated. Like, but yeah, it is absolutely frustrating when an adult that is healthy that could get vaccinated chooses not to. And then they're thereby filling our, you know, hospitals when they didn't have to be there. Um, but, but for me, this is a finer point. It is our government that allowed us to get to this place with these, um, with their terrible vaccinations rollout, with their terrible strategy of attacking healthcare workers during a pandemic, with their absolutely out of touch government that uh, has not reached the heart of the people. It is as if they don't hear us. It is as if they don't see us. And that's the part that makes me angry. It's like a child being abandoned by their parents, just being left by the side of the road saying, go have, you know, good luck out there. I'm just going to take away all these things that you relied on and, and just, you know, have fun on your own. So yeah, it's frustrating. It's a, it's a frustrating situation with both the government and the people who refuse to get vaccinated, but could. Julie, there are obviously thousands of people that follow you on Twitter and follow you on Instagram. And I think all of us felt like we were kind of with your family as as you had, I'm sure, a very meaningful uh, recent getaway to the mountains where you you were able to spend some quality time together and and take some beautiful photos. And and I would imagine a a pretty powerful uh, series of conversations, too. Someone in your position where you say, hey, listen, if I go out there and if and if this Delta variant gets me. Uh, the consequences would be dire. Uh, I mean, you say in your Twitter thread that you wouldn't even be treated based on your well, condition. I mean, within yeah. reason. How, how is a fourth wave? I mean, I think that the public needs to understand how people in your position, how a fourth wave, how another surge of COVID and how lack of meaningful action on COVID impacts your daily life. I mean, is this something right now where are you, are you going to go out to the store and pick up milk? If you need it, I mean, how is this impacting you on a daily basis? Well, um, you know, it has been impacting me since way before COVID even began because I was on chemo. So when you're on chemo, you have to be, you know, isolated and stuff. But it's it's much more than just my story. And that's why I talk. That's why I speak up about it, because I have a voice and people listen to what I have to say. And what I'm saying is that the most vulnerable people in Alberta um, and many who have no voice, who cannot be heard by our government or by whoever else, um, are, are very powerless in this time and place. And um, uh, a fourth wave was completely unnecessary. We did not need to see it happen. That our government went through with the stampede and started this best summer ever of everybody getting Delta was, it's unconscious, it's, it's just, they have no conscience. They're, they're gone on holidays. They stay away for three weeks. They don't tell us where they're going, what they're doing. You know, it's it's been a mess. And I just feel uh, upset that they have left us in this position. What would look to you? I mean, I, I, I didn't want to come into this morning and, and take a whole bunch of shots and blast the government and not provide some form of, of what I believe would be an empathy-driven data-driven strategic plan and part of that i think for me is the idea of of whatever you want to call it but of proof of vaccination a vaccine passport and quite frankly an unapologetic public policy that says if you want to be here we're not going to leave it to the edmonton oilers and the calgary flames or we're not going to leave it to to fleisch deli the restaurant or we're not going to leave it to these bars and these businesses to say you have to be vaccinated if you want to come in and now on our initiative on our dime we're going to have to check 
I think that there should be public policy that is unapologetic, that indicates where the majority of people lean on this and that has a plan that says this is how we're going to get out of this, as opposed to some hundred dollar gift card scheme that's really not going to change anybody's mind either way. If you were writing the policy, Julie, what would it look like? If I was writing the policy, I mean, for vaccines, you mean? Yeah, if you were if the government came to you, if the health minister and the premier came to you and said, what do you think we should do? What do you think would would reflect empathy and intuition and for that matter, competence? What would it look like? I I mean, first of all, you wouldn't be at war with your with your doctors and nurses in Alberta. That's the first huge misstep that they that they created was trying to lower wages, trying to cut positions right in the middle of when we need these professionals. Right. Um, But, you know, in my perfect world, the policy would have unrolled um, in a way that people, you know, would have been required to get vaccinated, um, you know, except for those who cannot for for allergic reasons. But, um, you know, it would have been unrolled with a lot more compassion, um, with a lot more uh, heart for those who uh, live with immunocompromised conditions. And, um, yeah, I just think the thing that we're seeing as Albertans is that there's two different levels here. It's, it's one level for the politicians who do what they want. And it's another level for us who, you know, they tell us to do something, but it's not what they're doing. And that is the hypocrisy that the hypocrisy really gets me every time. It makes me so angry. And uh, it's just, is like rubbing salt in the wound. You mismanage the provincial health system and then you rub salt in it and walk away. That was, you know, the thing I when I was talking earlier and and I said, you know, these the fact that these rodeos get this exemption, I've got nothing against rodeo. Uh, As a matter of fact, I've quite enjoyed rodeos growing up. That's not the point. The point is that they're being held in jurisdictions and typically attended by people that support the government. And I wouldn't be surprised if the rodeos were probably going to be attended by MLAs and maybe ministers that, quite frankly, didn't want to deal with angry people didn't want to have to hear how upset people were that the beer gardens were closing. And so they get these exemptions. And then, of course, as there's public outcry, because the rodeos are announcing how proud they are, they have these exemptions as though people aren't going to see it. Then the public just absolutely loses its collective mind, you know, pointing out probably the most prominent example that Calgary Pride didn't have an exemption until they did because people had to snap for it to happen. I mean, that's the thing to me that really gets me. And this isn't so much a question as a comment is that it's very troubling. It's extremely troubling when you have a government that does not perceive its mandate to be that of governing for the people, rather governing for its base. And I think that that's something where this government has set itself apart from many others in past. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I, something that keeps getting to me is that people keep saying, well, I'm not, I'm fighting for my freedom. And if I give up my freedom to do this, then you're going to take more of these freedoms and slowly, slowly you're going to erode my freedoms. Well, I mean, some of us have our freedoms. I can't breathe without this oxygen right now. So if you want to talk about having freedoms taken away, you know, try living with somebody who is disabled, somebody who is sick, somebody who, you know, has to break news to their family that they aren't probably going to make it much longer. Like talk about freedoms being taken away and then, you know, try and hang out with somebody who has already had their freedoms taken away. You've been uh, demonstrating remarkable courage. Um, I think I'm, 
I'm saying courage, but I could use about a thousand other words. Um, this steadfastness of spirit, this depth of character, the poems that you're sharing. I mean, the, the writings that you're sharing, the photos. I mean, if you're not following Julie Rohr on Twitter and Instagram, R-O-H-R, Julie Rohr, follow her right now. It's going to blow your mind every single day when I see you have a new post. I just I prepare myself mentally to read it. What are you drawing on, Julie? I mean, what's driving you right now to have this? I mean, you have the ear of the pro. You have the ear of the country. I mean, I know you, you asked, is this real life the other day when Charles Adler was tweeting about you? The titan of talk. In my mind, the greatest talk host that Canada has ever produced. Charles and I had a private conversation last night. He is floored by your example. I mean, you are impacting people in incredible and eternal ways. Where are you finding this strength? Where am I finding this strength? Well, I um, I was raised as a very little girl in a very big church to believe that I am one of a greater community. I am not just here for my own gain in this world. I'm not living here for my own desires. And um, I, I lean upon the strength of love, love for my family, love from the greater community, um, and and my faith journey, really, um, my spirituality has been a big thing for me to lean upon during these years. And that's really kind of where I get this, like the peace during my own journey towards death, really. I mean, we're all on a journey towards death. Some of us know it and some of us don't think about it. But um, but through this whole thing, um, that's been a real anchor for me is uh, just my, my own spiritual experience as well. So, hmm. Is I, I oftentimes last guess, and it's and it's typically not an interview that's as uh, real as this. I mean, this is this is about as real as real talk gets, Julie. I mean, uh, even even the opening statement on your Twitter thread where you say I am an end stage cancer patient, it just hits you like a ton of bricks when you read that. Um, but I oftentimes last people at the end of an interview, if you know, to to give us something to walk with and to give us something to think about. And to meditate on and to grow from. Is there something you can, I mean, you know that thousands of people are going to be listening to this interview and are going to be walking with this podcast. What's something you want us to walk with? Yeah, this is what I would say today. Um, When Jen um, started that thread of people posting things that they loved about me, which I had no prior knowledge of, like you said. Um, And as I was, I mean, I was in the hospital while I was reading the thread and um, I, I was just blown away. Absolutely. And what I would say is it was like being at a memorial service before I'm gone. I got to hear what, you know, what kind of impact that my life has had on people. And I had no idea. I, I, I truly didn't know. And so what I would say is, you know, if you love something about someone, if you admire someone, tell them that don't wait until a later time, you know, tell them throughout your experience, walk, walk through life with an open, open heart and open hands. And, you know, just be honest with people and vulnerable. And it's amazing what will change in your perspective and your daily life. If you're walking in that gratitude and that um, community, that sense of community. Hmm. If people want to read that thread, they can find Jen's Twitter account at feisty underscore waters. And uh, it's just absolutely remarkable. Julie, 
Uh, I promise that I'd let you go. I mean, I, I, people need to understand that there are things that happen behind the scenes. You've timed your medication around this interview. And um, I want to be really respectful of your time. Um, I just wanted to read some of the comments that are popping up on our live chat right now. Uh, I mean, I don't have time to read them all. But, um, you know, Mark says, let's all give thanks not only to Julie, <laughs> but for Julie and for people like her. Uh, Miranda says her thoughts and hearts are with you. Uh, Rachel just thanks you for your strength and compassion. Uh, Dr. Mana Saleh, I know you know her, says she's sending you so much love. Blake says Julie Rohr is who we should all strive to be like. Uh, to seek justice on our live chat says we are so grateful for the depth of your sharing. Roxanne is grateful uh, for everything that you do. Tony says you're her superhero, says I absolutely adore this woman. Natasha, Natasha Kornack has been on the show before uh, talking about her perspective as a, as a young conservative. She says, I've never met Julie in real life, but she's helped me so much and she gives me so much hope. She says, thanks for everything. We love you. What's it like, by the way, to have thousands of people that have never met you in real life telling you that they love you? What's that like? You know what? Uh, it, it, it is a little strange. I'm not going to lie. Like it's, um, it's a feeling that I don't know what to do with. I'm a little overwhelmed at all of this outpouring of, of love. But I, uh, I'm a person who lives my life very much out loud. Um, and so the way that I live kind of welcomes you know, input and comments and I welcome new friendships and I welcome meeting new people. So um, it's sort of a natural outpouring to how we live here in our neighborhood and how we make friends, you know, in general life. But I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm humbled. I, I, I could never believe that a story of living with cancer uh, for six years when they, you know, I didn't know if I'd make it more than one or two um, has been, it's been amazing to me that all of you have followed along on my journey. I just want to thank you because it's, um, you, you help lift me on days when it's really hard. So, well, you. uh, you know, Nicole says Julie's fighting her own battle, but takes the time out of her day to fight for others. Not all heroes wear capes. Uh, and I think that Nicole says that so well, you, you and I have, have spoken several times, uh, different subject matter sometimes our interviews over the years and and, and i told you it, like at some point th there's got to be a public initiative to have your epic smile uh on a mural somewhere i mean your smile just obviously not just knocks people's socks off julie and the inspiration that you have provided for people in the midst of your own storm uh is nothing short of absolutely remarkable we're going to respect your time and and allow you time to rest. I can't wait to speak with you again. We adore you. And I'm so appreciative of your perspective this morning. Thanks for making time for us on Real Talk. Thank you so much, Brian. It's the absolutely incredible, formidable force of nature that is Julie Rohr. Show her some love, will you? You know, Julie's not only on our Real Talk editorial board, there's there's eight remarkable people on that editorial board. It was actually her idea. She reached out when Real Talk was a few days old and she said, you know. I mean, she wrote a big, long, thoughtful message, but basically said, I, th I think it's different perspectives are important. She said for you and for the direction of the show, I think accountability is important. She said, what would you think about an editorial board? I said, I think that that's a phenomenal idea. 
only if you agree to be on it. <laughs> and so she did. And we're so lucky to have her among our great eight, so to speak. What a remarkable person. We'll get to more of your comments here. I know that what Julie has, has just said is resonating with many of you. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the, the live chat as, as best I can. And uh, we'll read some more of those comments. I mean, people are just saying she's just 100% just absolutely beautiful. Michelle says, I'm so glad Ryan read Nicole's comment about not all heroes wearing capes. Julie's got her own fight and she's here fighting for other people. She says she's got enough going on, but she's fighting for Alberta. Laurel says she is grace embodied. Hope Springs, which is my favorite handle with apologies to everybody else. Hope Springs to me is just a beautiful. I mean, it's like an assignment and a reminder at the same time. Hope says, wrap yourself in love, Julie. There's room under your cape of strength. You make a huge difference. Angela says, this is how we get through this. By listening to people like Julie, by living every day for others, not just for ourselves. Thank you for your strength and your truth. It's great to see Les Landry chiming in on our live chat. Les fights his own battles. He's been on this show before. He says, thank you for your inspiration, Julie. And I see that our producer, our editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles, has posted the link to uh, Julie's thread about the impact there. And you can find that in the live chat on YouTube. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter as, as well at Real Talk RJ. That's the show's official Twitter account. And we thank everybody that follows us there. There are other stories to cover. Uh, including clean energy and reconciliation. Where does that intersection happen? We're going to talk to the, the chief of Frog Lake First Nation and the co-founder of Canada Clean Power in just a second. But right now, I want to remind you that these conversations happen because we have an, an army of supporters by way of our Real Talk builders, our sponsors. We wouldn't be here without them. And that includes the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to thank everybody they said that wakotawin society fundraiser through the month of august remember that every child matters every cone counts a dollar from every ice cream cone to the wakotawin society providing uh, retreats healing opportunities uh, for women in particular that survived both residential schools and cancer they said there's going to be a check presentation mid-month they said, we want to know, Ryan, if you could be out there for that. I said, you kidding me? I'll be there. Unbelievable. On behalf of Real Talkers, they said, oh, yeah, but by the way, for the month of September, there's a Real Talk special for everybody. It's the Pecan Pie Blizzard Treat. Crumbly brown sugar pie pieces, crunchy pecans, creamy caramel, the world famous Dairy Queen soft serve and that whipped topping. It's the perfect fall treat. The pumpkin pie blizzard treat, meantime, blends world-famous soft serve with real pumpkin pie pieces, garnishing it with whipped topping and nutmeg. The fall weather favorite of the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Our hashtag, the one that Sarah's keeping an eye on at Real Talk RJ, is powered by the team at Park Power that want to remind you, if you sign up for internet, electricity, or natural gas at parkpower.ca today, use the promo code 2021-REALTALK. It'll save you $70 off your first bill. And consider their fixed rate offering. If, if you've seen these expensive power bills of the past number of months, Park Power offering flexible fixed rates on one and three year terms. You get the peace of mind, but you're never locked in. You can switch rates or cancel at any time. Also, big shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. 
as much as we may want to ignore it, deny it, fall is coming. And that means that their team is going to get ready to get into the conceptual and planning stages. When you work with Eden Landscaping, you don't have to hire a landscape architect and then hire a general contractor or somebody else. They are a one-stop shop and they take great pride in turning your dream into reality. They've been doing it for more than 20 years. The customer referrals are their indicator that they're doing a good job at it. You can find out more about what they're doing by checking them out. Eden Landscaping under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Thanks to everybody that shows love to our partners. We wouldn't be on the air without them. This is a fascinating story, and I'm excited to talk to these two. A partnership just announced to develop indigenous-led net-zero electricity infrastructure in Canada. Frog Lake First Nation is the lead investor in this first project. The project will be indigenous-led and includes a 51% majority ownership stake. We're going to learn more about the power plants and the impact of it on a number of fronts as we welcome the co-founder of Canada Clean Power, Aaron Campbell, and the chief of Frog Lake First Nation, Chief Greg Desjardins. Welcome to both of you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, chief Desjardins, why don't, why don't we start with you? This is obviously an exciting announcement. How does, how does something like this come about? Take us through the stages of, of development here, and, and how good did it feel to put pen to paper? Good morning, uh, Ryan. Um, first of all, I just want to say I'm thankful for another day to the creator as well. And... Uh, you know, uh, as, as a First Nations band and a, and a leader in heavy oil, we uh, changed direction and we wanted to be part of uh, the climate change. As First Nations, we have always been part of the climate change and we've been saying it for, for decades. But uh, forming an, uh, an alliance with Canada Clean Power to uh, help facilitate and, and uh, hopefully build the 300 uh, megawatt plant, you know, with a, a byproduct of uh, blue hydrogen and water, you know, to uh, trailblaze for the First Nations across Canada to be a part of this uh, movement in the world. An amazing you know, opportunity on a number of fronts. Uh, obviously, the ownership stake is big. Addressing climate change is big. Aaron, I would imagine uh, from your end, there are there are many appealing factors to this partnership Uh, from your end. Why? Why was this such a priority? Why are you so excited about this? Thank you, Ryan, and and good morning, Chief Chief Greg. Um, No, this is this is a a big deal, Ryan, Um, and it's a big deal for not just um, not just those of us here in Alberta, but also, you know, people who are looking at ways to um, transition our electricity supply across across Canada. You know, Canada has been working for um, you know a, a number of years with the supplier of the technology, which is Net Power in, in the United States, and looking for the right opportunity to deploy that technology in Canada. And uh, through uh, Chief Gray's leadership. And the the support of the, the Frog Lake First Nation, we've been able to not just identify a, a first project partner, but actually a first project leader. And that has uh, really changed both how we as an organization are um, approaching this project and subsequent projects. 
and I think it's 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 really made um, you know you know other people think about different ways of building some of this large infrastructure and ways that we can do that within the framework of not just great projects but also reconciliation. Yeah, Chief, let me ask you about that. I mean, the reconciliation angle on this is obviously huge, and we've had many conversations on this show theming around what reconciliation looks like, in particular from an economic opportunity standpoint. The 51% ownership share is obviously a unique opportunity. Um, In your mind, is this a step in that direction toward reconciliation? I mean, is that something that was front of mind for you and for your community members? Yes, Ryan. Uh, in Frog Lake, uh, we always talked about ownership and revenue sharing. You know, a project that would be able to sustain our band, you know, to send our, our young people to school, to build houses, you know, to uh, improve our in- infrastructure and basically improve the quality of life of our people. You know, for, for, for too long, you know, we were unable to take part in these huge projects you know, solely because, you know, you don't have the capital. And, uh, you know, when, when the resources are coming from beneath us here in Alberta, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good feeling that uh, we're, we're able to, to take part in, in a plant in, to this size with, with a partner like Canada Clean. You know, I think um, we're looking long term. You look at the Paris Accord, you look at the giants of Alberta, Syncrude, Synovus, who signed the agreements by 2050 to have zero carbon emissions. You know, as First Nations people, we always thought about seven generations. You need to think about your children and what are we going to leave for them? So this obviously is a win-win for everybody, not just us in Canada as Frog Lake, but the country and the world. We're trying to uh, create this footprint and set the stage you know, and to show the world that First Nations can be at, at the front and that First Nations can be, you know, the, the, the lead in these projects, you know, and it's a good feeling for Frog Lake. And, and it's not about today. It's about the future and creating non-carbon electricity. And we're able to, you know, help the, the, the climate itself. Yeah, when we talk about, I mean, I think we'll get into this in a second, but but let me, you know, put out for for the people that are curious about the details and how this is all going to work. Uh, this is a power plant, at least stage one, right? And, and and I'll ask both of you to clarify on this and to provide some further details. Uh, a power plant that'll generate 300 megawatts of net zero electricity 24-7. Um, it's expected to supply about 3% of Alberta's electricity demand and produce water uh, for about 15,000 households. How significant, Aaron, is this with regards to the, I mean, a net zero, I mean, this, it's, it's natural gas, correct? Can you explain to us how significant this is for, for people that aren't on the inside, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, the technology is, um, you know, it, it's quite, a, it's quite an important part of the story. And it's an, an important part of the story for Alberta and Canada. There is um, an existing plant that, um, that's been commissioned and is uh, generating electricity in, in Texas. So the, the technology has been, been proven in that context. We're now the first developers to bring that technology to Canada. And what uh, excited our team, and I think, you know, through the leadership of, of Chief Greg and the, and the other um, leaders at Frog Lake, what, what energized us was being able to be a, a positive 
a player in the energy transition that needs to happen within Canada and Alberta. You know, uh, natural gas is, a, is an important part of the energy mix. Let's utilize those really important resources, but do it in a way that is um, not going to have an impact on our on our carbon load. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to talk about politics as we're in the middle of a federal election, but this is this this type of project. Um, you know, the support for this spans the full spectrum of political um, political political belief. You know, this is, um, you know, a, a, a cutting edge technology that is um, going to help not just Alberta, but Frog Lake uh, utilize its resources in the, in the very best way possible and, and, and in a way that is um, uh, not just Indigenous invested, but Indigenous led. Aaron, by the way, it's it's totally okay with me if you want to talk politics. Nobody nobody will interfere with you talking <laughs> politics. Uh, <laughs> Chief Desjardins, when you, I mean, you're obviously leading a community here, and and I would imagine that this you you probably aren't sort of dusting off your hands and saying your work is now done. Uh, how does this partnership and how does this development now impact what you may foresee to be you know future opportunities for your First Nation and, and maybe even for other Indigenous communities across Canada? I know that many people are going to be paying attention to this partnership. Well, Ryan, like like I said, um, First Nations, we have to think ownership and revenue sharing. You know, you can't sustain your band on a CFA agreement that's four decades old. You know, uh, for too long, our people lived in poverty. You know, this is something that could help lift us out of that poverty. You know, I talked about homes, education, infrastructure. You know, I know there, there's a, a pandemic inside a pandemic with, with the meth. And, and we can allow this to offset the cost for our people to heal. You look at what's happening across Canada in these unmarked graves. You know, our people have been through a lot for 150 years. You know, now it's time that Canada reconcile with itself as well, because we'll never heal if they don't own up to these things. You know, now as First Nations people, we're only trying to be at the table and take our rightful place because, you know what, our quality of life it shouldn't be uh, two-tiered here in, in, in the land of milk and honey in Alberta. You know, it should be equal. And you know what? I jokingly say you can tell when you hit the reserve because you hit a washboard, the county grader turns around. And that's the truth. So how do we get that, that grader to go inside? You know, how do we get our grader going? and have it fueled and new blades. And this is one way we can sustain our programs, our roads and bridges. And uh, you know what, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great, great thing for both of us, but more importantly for the future and, and trying to save the world and, and, and being the leader and the front runner in this project, it's, uh, it's a great feeling for everybody. And I, I hope, you know, um, you know, the government's uh, and the banks back is because it's uh, it means so much to us, and and we're trying to take our rightful place. And us too, we are good people. We're trying to reconcile it within ourselves, and to show the world that we can be these business leaders at the table. 
Chief Dejali, you, t- you talk about government and you talk about the banks. I mean, I-, I know that we could probably approach this story and then expand our focus and 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 talk about stories like this with a concept or concept put into practice around reconciliation from so many different angles from the government standpoint. Um, Alberta as an outlier will not be recognizing September 30th as National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. What's your response to that? Well, you know, to me, uh, you know, like I said, they have to own up to what happened and they have to reconcile with themselves. You know, does it hurt me? No, it doesn't surprise me. You know, I I think, you know, uh, me, I I was bust to town. So I was able to to rub shoulders and to grow up with uh, non-Native individuals. My friends, I have a lot of friends that, that, that that are white. You know what? But I think uh, what what needs to happen is we need to teach what happened in these residential schools. We need to show our children and other non-Indigenous children what really happened. Because you know what? What's happening now is stuff been pushed under the rug. Now it's starting to creep out on each side of the rug, and that's what's starting to happen. You know, and uh, I'm I'm just not surprised that uh, they don't acknowledge it. Yeah, I mean, it's I agree with you and it's discouraging uh, and I don't actually think that discouraging is strong enough of a word, but but I appreciate you taking the question. Aaron, where does this I mean, how does this push Canada clean power forward with regards to other opportunities? I mean, it, it was can may I ask like around your boardroom table? Um, is the word reconciliation part of the discussions around these business development opportunities? Oh yes, reconciliation is, is front and forward in our in, in the entire organization, and that's everything from um, identifying uh, you know other uh, plant locations and other future opportunities to uh, utilize this technology in um, supporting the 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 base load electricity generation in uh, particularly in uh, Alberta and potentially Saskatchewan, but um, and and what we've found. Uh, going into you know senior senior banking um, meetings, senior government meetings, that what by taking this approach and um, focusing this approach through our entire organization, there's a great amount of legitimacy that comes from from doing that, and there's been a great amount of support from both banking groups and government groups uh, a- around this approach. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, this, this project um, moves forward because of the leadership and support of the Frog Lake First Nation. They're the ones that stood up and said, you know, we want to do something to build uh, wealth for our, our, our people. And, you know, we're going to um, embrace this as a, as a way to do that. And, uh, you know, we, we were, were really fortunate to uh, spend um you know, a few days up at uh, a Frog Lake when we made the announcement at their at their powwow, and the um, the welcome and support and excitement that we saw through the the to the chief, through the council, through the people that we met, it um, it continued to open our hearts to this at, this as a path to not just build great projects with really great technology, but also um, support. Uh, change on how our economy grows in in a really real and, and demonstrable way. And, and Chief Dejarly, I mean, you alluded to this earlier as well, but I mean, I think it's also a story 
around the energy transition and opportunities there as well. I mean, yourself and the nation obviously have had involvement, as you alluded to, uh, in past and have seen opportunity with regards to traditional, let's call it traditional oil and gas. Um, and, and this net power technology that will use natural gas and pure oxygen uh, to create electricity with zero carbon emissions. I think that, I mean, aside from reconciliation and aside from these other conversations, it's also a great energy transition story. And I think, I mean, you really have an opportunity as if I'm telling you anything you don't already know. Uh, what a great opportunity to set an example, not just for First Nations, uh, not just for indigenous communities, but for Canadians. I mean, for people around the world. I mean, this is a case study on the evolution of economic opportunity and involvement. Yeah, Ryan, I, I think when you asked uh, paper to pen, you know, uh, our, our elders say, when you say something, you do. Because you know what, when you put something out into the universe like this, you know, the one God, I heard the, the previous lady in, in your previous show talk about gratitude. You have to be thankful each morning. You have to live in gratitude and things will work out for us. You know, um, exactly. You know what? Different politicians say this, they say that, but us, we're saying and we're doing. That's the key. Hmm. And, and, and I think about everybody's children. Everybody on this call who's listening, I think about your children. We have to think about the fresh water, the polar caps that are melting, you know, and, and, and all the the, carb, the carbon that's in the air, you know, and uh, we have to do our part as First Nations people. And here we go. We're going to do our part. And, and also to, to get into uh, the industry of selling power. Right now we do um, sell power to uh, Strathcona in Lindbergh, the plant there. So it's not like we're, we're uh, new to this. We own a cogen facility there, and uh, we've been involved in oil and gas for the last uh, forty plus years. And and I want to say hats off to the to the to the chiefs that, that that passed, and the chiefs that are with us today who had that vision of oil and gas, who improved the quality of life for our people for many decades. Well, congratulations to you both. And I, I know it's obviously big for Canada Clean Power. It's obviously huge for Frog Lake First Nation. Um, I appreciate both of you making yourselves available. We'll, I mean, we'll be watching with keen interest and, and we'll have to circle back and, and connect again once we get a real sense of, of how this is impacting uh, or making its impact, let me say, in a, in a number of different contexts. Aaron Campbell is the uh, co-founder of Canada uh, Clean Power, vice chair there as well. And of course, Chief Greg Desjardins joining us uh, from Frog Lake First Nation, where he was elected uh, chief in 2019, re-elected this year, by the way. Congratulations. Uh, the 750-member Cree Nation located in East Central Alberta. Thanks for your time today, and, and thanks for joining us on Real Talk. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's a, I mean, that's a really neat story. And these are the types of stories that we'll continue to keep an eye on to give you a sense of what's actually happening. Um, not surprised, he says. Hey, how do you how do you feel about Alberta not recognizing National Day of Truth and Reconciliation? Not surprised. That doesn't mean that Albertans will not recognize mm -hmm. September 30th. Right. Can, can we be clear about that? 
We definitely can. And we have actually booked the the person that started Orange Shirt Day that's now transitioning into uh, that National Day of Reconciliation. Good stuff. So that'll be coming up September 30th? The 29th. 29th. 30th, 30th is probably the weekend, of is, course, right? Is yeah. the... Uh, is the day so it's yeah. she'll be taking the day yeah oh good stuff so uh that'll be on yeah thursday september 30th so our conversation will be on wednesday september 29th uh, a few weeks from now you know I, we're post labor day i mean people right now on our live chat this is this is like when people are getting back into their routines right this is when we know a, a big part of our listening audience is going to be back we've missed you welcome back to those of you that are joining us live uh, we see the big bump in our numbers and then of course with regards to those that'll be downloading our podcast uh or or watching later on youtube we don't hold it against you that you were enjoying a, a you know fabulous weather and getting away to the cabin or the cottage or the back country or wherever you've been but it's great to have you back and we're looking forward to hitting the ground running. Of course, we've got the federal election looming. We've got municipal elections looming in the province of Alberta and a lot of our coverage, including, by the way, a conversation in about 15 minutes from now with political consultant uh, Jasker and Sandu is going to join me. We'll take a look at, at the federal landscape it's it's uh it's a strange feeling to step away from the studio for a few days when there's so much going on and i'm curious to get mr sandu's assessment of what's been going on there i mean some of the numbers right now aaron o'toole is 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 certainly making hay and uh i think surprising some people you know with with his so-called brand of conservatism i've seen some people indicating their surprise there and then you also kind of wonder how some how some other things that Aaron O'Toole said might play out, you know, with regards to, you know, him going on the record and saying, hey, listen, Jason Kenney has managed uh, Jason Kenney in Alberta in the Alberta government has managed COVID better than any other jurisdiction. And I don't think that that comment, quite frankly, is is aging very well. Um, and I've seen some of his detractors. Uh, some of Aaron O'Toole's detractors saying, listen, if this guy thinks that Jason Kenney's been doing the best job of anybody in Canada, do you really want him in charge of the federal file? So we'll get Jaskarin to, to chime in on that. Obviously, the, the, the liberals uh, have their own problems. Uh, if you have to talk in big themes, I mean, is it fair to say? Um, and I'm, I'm sitting here in, in a room with two other pretty politically engaged people, Sarah Hoyles and Sam Brooks. Um, is it fair to say? Uh, I'm curious for both of your assessments. That the prime minister is doing a pretty lousy job at this point in convincing Canadians that the election was necessary. Or, or are we just perpetuating? Am I perpetuating it? Am I being part of the problem by continuing to regurgitate that? I mean, do you I mean, how would I'm curious to, uh, how both of you feel about this? Do you get the sense that, he, that, he, that he's going to be able to I mean, are Canadians going to punish him for calling an election? Do you think do you think that'll be a storyline two weeks from now? <sighs> I. I I think you make a really great point. The idea that this is like, this is the narrative that's being, that's being churned around. So I don't know to be like, I don't know. I, uh, I would hate for that to be the reason that um, they don't, they don't, you know, that they, not that I want them to win or not win. I, like, <laughs> you can plant the flag wherever you choose to plant it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Sam, do you get this? Do you get the sense that, that the prime minister could be, do for a bit of a paddling when it comes to the uh, the voter <laughs> intention and the way that Canadians are going to... Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess part of me is just like, how do you define punishing him for it? Because, you know, people have been calling this the Seinfeld election. It's the election about nothing, which yeah. it is. It is an election kind of about nothing. Uh, it's a it's a government that wants to level up to a majority, and that's you know, sort of what's going on here. And I think that... Um, 
probably the punishing that will come is he'll be kept to a minority. I think that, you know, looking at where we're at right now, I'm, I'm not sure the liberals are strong enough to to get over that hump. Um, could I, be a conservative minority, it too. Could. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think that looking at the landscape right now, we're headed to a minority either way. Yeah, which means another election in another two years. Right. I mean, when's the last time that, you know, I don't think that you're going to have a minority government that's going to want to roll for four years, although the liberals probably could have. I mean, I I appreciate a minority government. I think it's it's the best form of government, frankly. However, what I'm most concerned about right now is, yes, it's a it's an election about nothing. But the the behavior, I mean, some people are calling it them protests, but throwing rocks at a candidate that's getting out of control um in that happened in london ontario yesterday mm-hmm. with uh justin Trudeau. i don't care which candidate it is that is unacceptable is not e- like <laughs> oh. like do we have to say it <laughs> you're in a position where you're like do i have to do we have to clarify that throwing rocks at people uh we're not talking in metaphors here no this is not figurative language people are literally throwing rocks um, you know, on the live chat here, you know, Scott says the election is trending to a conservative minority. And Scott says, in his opinion, everybody will be worse off because of this. James says Trudeau is doing a piss poor job of explaining there was no need for an election at this point. And then some people are chiming in on the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation as a stat, as a stat holiday. And 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 these are sincere comments and I, I appreciate this like from genevieve who says you know, I, I had a friend ask me about september 30th um you know they own, they own a small business and it's it's hard to have more stat holidays to pay for as a small business i mean there are factors uh, that come into play here on that front i mean that's a very real consideration for people that are small business owners for example and and so you know we're wide open to your comments on that i'd love to hear what you have to say about that and then a whole bunch of you responding to me welcoming you back as we get post Labor Day. I was going to wear white today, but of course you can't. Uh, we're post Labor Day. We're back into the swing. Kids are back in school. A lot of them with staggered entries. I know our little man is first day of grade one uh, just this past Thursday. What a moment that was. And and uh, and it's so great to, to have many of you back here on the chat. We haven't seen some of your names for a while. We hope that you've had a wonderful summer. All things considered, and uh, we're looking forward to to you participating as we continue to drive discussion uh, on the issues that matter and on the stories that matter to you. This feels like a pretty good time to to just acknowledge how excited we are to be nominated for an Alberta Film and Television Award. Um, the Ampia nominations were released just a couple of days ago, and uh, we're excited to be nominated in the uh, what is it the best the best uh, information and lifestyle series or something like that. I believe that's correct. Yeah, yes. and so we're up against some formidable fellow nominees so we'll say we're excited to be nominated and and win or lose it's a real honor and uh can i just say as the host of the program uh, pretty exciting to have real talk there in the mix nominated for awards because we are a thing and it's great to be a thing we're a player in the landscape and that's because of you it's because those of you that subscribe that join us every single day that send us the emails that tag us on your tweets and your instagram posts and that include us in your dialogue. And we're really grateful for that. You've probably seen, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, yesterday I pushed it out. My wife, Carrie, and I are really excited to be hosting a, a super fun event coming up this Saturday, September 11th. And if you're in the Edmonton or central to northern Alberta region, we'd love for you to join us. This is the homecoming at DeRoche 
villages and we're planning an incredible homecoming event to kick off the back to school season and the football season as well with a bang this is your opportunity to tour the beautiful show homes by daytona jamin landmark and pace setter and of course you know our friends are gonna be there uh st albert and sherwood dodge are gonna have those rams there what's a tailgate party without pickup trucks pretty lousy our friends at friesen brothers are going to be providing the tailgating fare you know that that food's going to be phenomenal and here's the deal the first 75 of you that sign up to check out these show homes and this isn't some weird like timeshare high pressure sales thing i would never participate in that that was my first question about this. I was like, is this going to be like a weird high pressure thing? They're going, not at all. Not at all. This is just a chance to go tour those show homes at your leisure, in your comfort, with distance. The first 75 of you that book via the link that I retweeted, go to my Twitter at Ryan Jesperson. The first 75 of you will receive a four pack of family fun tickets to check out the Battle of Alberta on the gridiron later that evening the edmonton elks the calgary stampeders that september 11th the first 75 of you to register for a show home tour will receive those four cfl tickets no strings attached also wanted to give a shout out to our friends at athabasca u i mean speaking of back to school uh, the whole thing about athabasca you've been hearing us talk about canada's online university for a long time is that it is on demand it fits your schedule but back to school doesn't have to mean back to brick and mortar you can go to AthabascaU.ca to check out their programs and courses. I love this page. I'm interested in, and then there's a drop-down menu. You want to get your graduate degree? You want to get your undergraduate degree? You want to take graduate online courses? How about what you're interested in? Another drop-down menu there. They customize exactly what you're looking for. It's exactly what they've been all about for years and years learning that fits your schedule learning that fits your situation from the comfort of your home maybe you're on the road wherever you are athabasca university is a great fit also wanted to remind you that the team at westworld computers is powering our studio each and every morning we gave them basically a pretty clear sense of what the show was going to look like and then they provided us with the horsepower to make it happen you know, Westworld Computers has a fully authorized Apple service department as well. Trained technicians with more than 40 years of experience. They can upgrade or fix any Apple product. You can book your appointment for service online at westworld.ca. Or, of course, you can visit them at their brick-and-mortar store in Edmonton, where they've been family-owned for more than 40 years. No more long lines, no more hitting the mall for service. Why not visit Westworld today in person or online at westworld.ca. Now we promised we'd get to more of your comments on the announcement on Friday. This was Alberta uh, taking a step to address this fourth wave of this pandemic. That step, $100 gift cards. For the 30% or so of Albertans that at this point are unvaccinated, an incentive to go get the shot. Now, we told you how our poll worked out, our unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll. We're going to get scientific on it with our Y Station question of the week. But, but here's what you told us over the weekend. 2.9% of the almost 9,400 votes cast, 2.9, let's call it 3% of you, said it's a good idea. Just over 7% of you said it's complicated. And 89.7, we'll call it 90% of you said no, there are other better options. 
Now, I have to imagine we wanted to include the it's complicated because I imagine that there are some of you, maybe about 7% of you that are saying, I don't know if I love the idea of rewarding people that have dragged their heels that didn't do what I would perceive to be their duty, that didn't do what I did. This is what you're thinking. They didn't do what I did, which was to get vaccinated as soon as possible to protect not only ourselves, but other people. I'm not sure I want to see them rewarded. However, if it works, if that carrot dangling, that $100 gift card works, and if thousands upon thousands of people get vaccinated, I mean, who cares if it costs the province a few hundred thousand or several million? I mean, all in, it could cost the province of Alberta almost $150 million, but that's not going to happen because the people in my mind that are unvaccinated to this point are not getting vaccinated for a $100 gift card. Maybe some will. I'm sure some will, but not many will. But if it does work, the it's complicated vote to me suggests that some of you believe I don't love the idea, but it'd be worth it. Now, we asked you to feel free to leave a comment in addition to leaving your vote. And as mentioned, uh, we're closing in on 600 comments on the thread. It's not too late to leave your comment and we'll continue to check in through the week. Uh, Doreen is a medical doctor and she said it's a horrible precedent because it completely denormalizes vaccination as a pillar of public health. I mean, what will this do to any future vaccination campaign? Dr. Doreen says, seriously, it's a short-sighted, desperate, unwise policy. Charlene, and I thought Charlene hit the nail on the head here, said this is the same group that wanted to isolate the vulnerable before vaccines were available so the rest of them could live their normal lives. She says it's time for them to do the same or get vaccinated. And then Charlene just writes vaccine passports. Nope. Yeah, that's the person's handle. Nope. Says rewarding people who've been negligent in doing their part while standing idly by as case counts rise and ICUs fill while cutting wages for registered nurses and allowing things to spiral out of control again is a slap in the face to all those who cared enough to get the shot and to healthcare workers. Amy Joe says a hundred bucks is not going to change anything for the folks that I know who are refusing to vaccinate. Some of them want more data. Some of them don't believe in the severity of COVID at all. And sadly, I think experiencing loss will be the only way they will change their minds. I don't have it in front of me, but there's a a medical doctor that I started following over the weekend on Twitter, and she's been pushing it. She's actually in the UK, and uh, she's sharing some of her experiences, vivid experience. I mean, a great storyteller she is. Uh, and I'll share it. I'll push it out later today. If you follow me on Twitter, I'll, I'll share that account. I don't have it in front of me right now, but she was talking about some of the desperation that she hears in the ICU as people are being intubated or people in a really bad spot. And she says they've got these wide eyes because they're terrified and they're fighting for their breath. And she said that there was one gentleman in particular that said to her, can I please get the vaccine? Can I please get it now? She said, well, it's obviously too late for the vaccine. We're going to try to keep you alive. And unfortunately, was unsuccessful in that with that specific patient. They don't share the details about the patient or anything like that. But I mean, when Amy Joe writes that experiencing loss may be the only way that somebody's going to change their mind. I mean, that's a powerful thing to say. It's not a good health strategy, though. 
Dr. Mike Chatney chimed in and said, if you won't get vaccinated to save your life, do you really think a hundred bucks is going to make a difference? Dr. Chatney says vaccine passports are the only answer. You can choose to not get vaccinated and businesses can choose to not serve you for their patrons safety. It's all about choice, as a matter of fact. And I agree with Dr. Mike, except I would say that I don't think that it should be up to individual businesses to have to step out on a limb and do it themselves. I think that a government that's supposed to be pro-business, a government that's supposed to understand economic stimulus and sustainability would understand how to take the pressure off business by implementing intuitive public policy. Kylie says, not only will it not work, but it's a slap in the face to the rest of us who have done the right thing all along. Our businesses, our citizens should be rewarded with a vaccine passport so we can safely spend our money and enjoy our lives again. Why are the anti-vaxxers being rewarded? Taryn says it's not an incentive. It's a reward for being selfish or lazy and not caring until it benefited you. It's not a nuanced or generous opinion, says Taryn, but that's where I'm at with this garbage. Meantime, Philip just says the premier made his mess and now he's trying to buy his way out of it. Jess says I support the idea of a vaccine passport, but I don't see how it can work, especially in small town Alberta, where there are the lowest rates of vaccinations. I mean, policy needs to be easy to administer. How can we expect small business owners to enforce the vaccine passport? And that's a very fair question. I sat down with a business owner, a pretty prominent one in Edmonton yesterday, and it was an off the record conversation. So I'll respect that. But I asked him as a hospitality entrepreneur, how would this work for you? He wants to see vaccine passports. Now, he said, in particular, doesn't care if the word passport is used or not. He said one idea. We already have driver's licenses that can scan. Right? Police officers can scan your driver's license and can figure out all sorts of things about you, including past criminal convictions, warrants, unpaid tickets. Would there be a way to tie those together so a business could potentially scan your driver's license and make it that easy? Another idea, of course, was to simply have policy in place that would include significant punitive measures for people that are defying health orders around vaccination status. In other words, you want to be out and about? Doesn't matter, like I said before, whether you're dropping off your dry cleaning, whether you're getting your oil changed, whether you're picking up fresh produce at your local Friesen Brothers store, 16 locations across the province of Alberta, or otherwise, out for a martini. If you're not vaccinated, you're not permitted to be there. And don't put it on the lounge or the dry cleaner or the oil and lube and filter shop to employ somebody to sit at the door and deal with all the riffraff checking IDs. Have it as a type of scenario where there's a significant fine. I said $10,000 earlier. I'm sure that some of you rolled your eyes at that. But what would actually dissuade people? I mean, what's the dollar amount that would dissuade somebody, an unvaccinated person, from entering a building against the law to participate in society? How much would that have to be to actually be meaningful? If a bylaw officer, I know many of you are going to say, don't you can't put this on the police. The police are already stretched. 
The police already have enough on their plate. It can't be, it can't be the police going around checking people's vaccines, whether it's Alberta Health Services investigators, whatever the case is, sheriffs. I'm sure that we can find it. Maybe a new provincial police force. I kid. But maybe you have a type of scenario where it's like you might get away with it. It's like drunk driving. You might get away with it. But if you get busted, you're going to pay dearly. It's going to be a $5,000 fine. It's going to be a $10,000 fine. You can let me know what you think about this. Of course, these are all just ideas. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can send us an email. We're going to talk about federal politics in just a moment. I wanted to remind you how grateful we are to be partnering with the team at Local Waste. I would never tell you to save your emails for Trash Talk. But we have so many. Trash Talk's got to be 25 minutes on coming up on Friday. I mean, it's it's bananas. How many of you, I mean, some of you wanted your emails read today. We tried to get to as many as we could. Some of you have said, I don't want you reading this until trash talk. I said, okay. I know a lot of you are pissed. Local Waste loves talking trash so much. They've been doing it for more than 25 years. Right now, you can connect with them today. If you want to order a bin out of Alberta, out of Saskatchewan by visiting localwaste.ca. And they also invite you to give them a call. If you're one of those hardwired entrepreneurs you see an opportunity in your community to maybe add local waste there into the mix they love partnering with they've just signed some new agreements in the last couple of weeks you can check out their twitter for more on that you can give them a call anytime chris lauren and mikkel they insist on a first name basis out of edmonton at 780-809-5013 out of the beautiful province of saskatchewan the land of living skies at 306-992-2259 if I offered either of you two $10,000, I can't do this because I can't put my money where my mouth is on this front. I'm just going to be honest. Do you think you could go through province and territory by like go across the entire map and cite the slogans on the license plates? Could you do it? No. I could do beautiful British Columbia. We're wild rose country here in Alberta. Land of living skies. Friendly Manitoba. Je me souviens in Quebec, right? Ontario, I don't remember. Well, that's where I was going to go. This is like, there's some that have multiple slogans. Like oh, is in, oh, yeah, of in BC, you can get beautiful British Columbia, but I think you can also get supernatural British Columbia. Right. And in Ontario, they've just changed them. Supernatural. I think it used to be yours to discover. Yes. And I remember the Ford government put on the business commercial license plates open for business. Ah, that I thought you were going to say scandal. buck a beer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, oh. it really should be. <laughs> Ontario, buck a beer. I was getting nervous there. I was actually going to have to cut you off, Sam, because you were were getting further and further east with the license plates, and I thought that the real Tuckers were going to start demanding the $10,000 prize. So I I would apologize if we had to cut you off there. Before we get into our conversation, though, let me get serious for a second, because I have to also mention our friends at Friesen Brothers. We just just teased it earlier with the talk about the produce, but, you know, Friesen Brothers is about so much more than that. Uh, We had an opportunity to, to head out west. Uh, as part of our days off, I was so thrilled to return as host of the Tee Up for Tots tournament, raised a million dollars for the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation uh, out in Jasper, the beautiful Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. Unbelievable experience. So we stopped at Hinton on the way out as per family tradition. Of, I mean, it's obvious if you know me, we picked up the sourdough cinnamon buns. I mean, that's just obvious. You know it's obvious that we picked up some of the other eats and treats, but I discovered the Friesen Brothers chicken taco calzone i had not yet had the chicken taco calzone and that will be today's jespo recommendation from the friesen brothers across the province of alberta 
For more than 65 years, Alberta grown, Alberta owned 16 different locations across this beautiful land including their brand new store in South Edmonton. If you haven't yet checked it out, if you're in our neck of the woods, you absolutely must. You can find out more at Friesen.com. As if we need to tell you, federal election looms about two weeks from now, September 20th. Canadians will go to the polls. Our next guest, Jaskaran Singh Sandhu, a political strategist based out of Toronto. Uh, he's been involved in a number of different political campaigns at all levels of government and across the political spectrum, for that matter. Uh, previously serving as the senior advisor to Brampton's office of the mayor, also happens to be executive director of the World Sick Organization of Canada. My friend, welcome to Real Talk, making your debut on the show today. It's great to have you here i'm excited uh yours to discover i'm from beautiful ontario i'm here happy to represent there you go i i, I put myself in a jam here through dangling this ten thousand dollar hypothetical prize i better watch my mouth here because i bet you there's at least somebody that could do it why, why don't we talk about ontario right now this is obviously i mean based on uh october 2019 if you're a conservative strategist you're going we gotta win in Ontario, and Aaron O'Toole appears to be on track to be improving seat counts uh, in that province. How does it look through your eyes? How would you describe the Conservative campaign to this point? You think that they can keep this momentum through till E Day, so to speak? Yeah, I think it's hard to hard to say. I think right now in Ontario, uh, if you look where I'm from, so I'm in Brampton, uh, probably the most interesting political landscape in the country, as as I would argue. Uh, but the 905. Uh, Toronto in general, I, I think it stays pretty red. Uh, you know, the NDP might do well here and there. Now, there, there's an opportunity if the NDP pick up a little bit with the Liberals dipping, uh, that the Conservatives can come up the middle. Uh, and there's examples of that happening in the past. I think Bal Gosol uh, in 2011, if I remember correctly, uh, pulled it off when Jigmeet and Gerbuk Smalley split the vote in Bramley Gore at the time. Uh, so there, there's possibilities for that to happen. But the numbers have to get a little better. They have to get a little better for the Conservatives and, and Jagmeet Singh, the NDP, have to tick upwards a little bit more uh, for that to be a possibility. I think other parts of, of Ontario, uh, you know, the south, Southwest Ontario, for example, and other parts of this province, uh, Conservatives will do better. Uh, but, you know, these last two weeks obviously matter a lot and that's not rocket science, but the, these are the most important two weeks. Yes, people are paying attention before Labor Day. They really were. People aren't idiots. Uh, they could follow multiple things at the same time while they're still on vacation. Uh, but these last two weeks are critical. Like, they're crucial. And the last two weeks, at least uh, in, in political talk, within campaigns, it's often said, you know, the last two weeks is actually when it, when it matters. And we have to put ourselves in a position to win those last two weeks. How do you characterize the conservative campaign uh, to this point? I, I saw somebody yesterday describe it as a relatively moderate conservative campaign and they were saying it in complimentary fashion would you concur yeah i would uh, i think aaron o'toole took a page out of the patrick brown playbook uh, and and that uh you know he wins the leadership by playing to his base uh and he ran a very effective leadership like give him all credit he beat mckay in a race that no one thought he was going to win yeah. at the outset uh and, and he did it by you know playing the, the ground game as as it was required uh, and then he swing to the center uh, for the general campaign. Like th these guys aren't fools. They know uh, that with Sheer uh, in the past, that the failure to do that was what sunk that campaign. And let's remember 20, 2015, uh, 2018, there was every opportunity to win this thing for the Conservatives. Uh, Aaron O'Toole learned from those lessons. He's a seasoned politician. He understands the game. I think he's traditionally understood as a red Tory, uh, someone that is fairly center, center right on a lot of different issues. Uh, and you're seeing that kind of play out over this campaign. Now, he's he's gotten you know a little awkward here with the gun control debate. 
you know, the the healthcare debate uh, could have got bad for him if, you know, Minister or, or Christina Freeland didn't put manipulated media. That became the story instead. Uh, so, you know, the, the Conservatives understand, look, the, their only chance here is to play this safe, uh, be ready to speak to Canadians in general, win over that middle class, uh, which they have been to a certain extent so far, uh, and maintaining it. And they got two weeks left to kind of pull it off, which is a lot harder than said, because we've seen uh, today with polls. And a lot of people say polls don't vote. That's true. Polls themselves don't vote, but the people being polled definitely do. Uh, and we're seeing that the numbers suggest that this is a close race, uh, especially when a lot of folks thought it wouldn't be. Uh, again, you're seeing a lot of parallels foreshadowing maybe from that leadership race where O'Toole is going to do better than most people thought. We're going to be uh, tomorrow on the show going through our most recent question of the week. Uh, presented by Y Station, hundreds and hundreds of people tell us about their voting intention, the issues that matter to them. It'll be a really interesting, I think, insight into our audience and our subscribers. You've worked on campaigns across the political spectrum at different levels of government. Uh, you made a great point right there saying polls don't vote, but the people polled do. How much attention are you as a strategist or a campaign manager paying to things like polls? I know there's a, there's internal polling, there's external polling, independent polling i mean everybody says that they don't watch it like the athletes that say they don't read the newspapers but deep down inside we know they do uh did it resonate with you as a strategist or no yeah look mitch Barner was definitely looking at twitter the day after the Leafs got bounced in the first round i can tell you that much even though they probably won't admit it um yeah look everyone looks at the polls uh it's total bs when parties say that, you know polls don't matter we're not looking at it they do they definitely do look at them now i, I will say this much a deference is paid to internal polls over external. That is for sure. And there's a layer of sophistication that kind of goes into the internal polling as well that are rolling and, and they're consistent. Uh, and they're looking at much more than just, you know, your general kind of top line, you know, here's where the popular kind of vote stands at this moment. Uh, regional plays are, are incredibly important. Uh, and for the Liberals, Quebec and Ontario is, is where they win this thing, uh, especially with the, you know, the, the vote kind of disappearing in B.C., uh, where it's the anyone but Conservative vote is probably going to go to the NDP there, as things stand right now. Uh, but they're also looking at favorables. Uh, Trudeau is not doing well. Uh, he's taken a big hit to the brand uh, since he was first elected. Now, you know, he may not have lost the last election, but being taken down to a minority from majority after one term uh, is not necessarily the norm. Uh, especially for someone who had that kind of rock star charisma uh, when he first got voted in. It's wore thin a little bit. Uh, and, and so those types of polls and watching that is, is incredibly important to political parties. Uh, and also on issues. You know, I, I'm sure Aaron O'Toole and his team saw in the polling that, yeah, maybe we need to back off a little bit on this gun control debate uh, and make the pivot uh, and not hold so staunchly to it. Now, I will say this, uh, you know, the smart, smart campaigners and the liberals are smart campaigners. Uh, understand that as far as principles and themes of the election go, you don't necessarily change them just because the poll switches. You got to stay true to what your brand is and what your message is. And that consistency, that like, brand identity that you've built around yourself is the guiding light for your campaign. And just because polls shift one day one way and the next day another way, doesn't mean you kind of move in the wind with it. Uh, because folks, like just regular people, do not like inconsistencies. Like they don't like people changing their tune uh, on the basis of uh, feelings out there in, in the public. Uh, now, that doesn't mean there's not space for, you know, quote-unquote flip-flopping, uh, but it is something that people just don't like. And it's like one of those simple heuristics we make as like, you know, behavioral science uh, kind of uh, language here, but like those basic heuristics we make and that 
if someone's flipping around all the time, then they're not trustworthy. And I think that's the danger Aaron O'Toole comes into because he's done that more than anyone else so far on this campaign. Uh, and it's a fine needle to thread between being like a pragmatic, you know, modern conservative and seeing to flip flop between leadership positions, platform and current general campaigning. He's a uh, he. I mean, he's got a a, a tough job, and and I, I appreciate that you, you you referenced Patrick Brown, of course, and then and then you know Aaron O'Toole's run to the leadership of the Conservative Party, which I think a lot of people believed Peter McKay to be the heir apparent. Um, I mean, isn't it yeah. ironic that Mr. McKay goes on the record and, and describes Andrew Shear's 2019 election loss as a, a missed goal on an empty net and then goes ahead and loses the leadership uh, to Aaron O'Toole that kind of blew up in his face. But you've got Aaron O'Toole who needs to secure the support of conservatives in Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba in Alberta at the time. Probably no better way to do that than to earn the endorsement of Premier Jason Kenney. But now you could probably argue that the smartest move Mr. O'Toole could make would be to distance himself from the premiers in alberta and ontario i mean are voters going to start thinking in these levels and layers uh, kelly's watching right now and she says the concern would be that aaron o'toole gets elected you know with a sort of a centrist looking campaign and then starts to lean right once he achieves government i mean how do you message or how do you address that to canadians if you're aaron o'toole or if you're in his war room yeah that's really tough uh really tough because i think a lot of people just like your layperson who doesn't, you know, read or take in politics every day, which is a majority of Canadians, I would argue, um, are are kind of watching this thing from the peripheries of their eyesight. And uh, the kind of lazy connection that's made uh, by folks like myself and others uh, is connecting provincial parties with federal with their federal counterparts, which is not true. Uh, for especially for the liberals and the conservatives, where your membership, your executive, the whole basis of it is completely two different entities. Uh, the NDP is a little different in that the federal and provincial counterparts are more closely tied, uh, which you know may come to surprise to folks who see not Lean Jigmeet's relationship over the year in Alberta. Yeah. Um, but uh, for for other parties, uh, that's not true. Now, Aaron O'Toole, obviously, there is a fear of wearing some of the hits, especially uh, with Jason Kenney, who's incredibly unpopular and, and trust me we've noticed across canada what's happening in alberta um in ontario it's a little more difficult in florida i think he's he's not he hasn't gone down the route of jason kenny necessarily but he's nowhere near as you know popular or or bolstered up in his support as he was in the early days of the pandemic where he was quite frankly incredibly popular uh and so aaron o'toole is is fearful obviously of being held uh, and anchored against those two uh, or other provincial governments so far, I think the Aaron O'Toole campaign has done a decent job of keeping their distance uh, and staying true to their message. I think it helps that Justin Trudeau and Doug Forrest signed this pact um, to not to not attack each other over the course of this campaign. You've seen little, you've seen little like tits for tats here and there. Uh, and does that hold for the next two weeks? You know, I think a lot of chatter in Ontario is Justin Trudeau seeing his numbers kind of fall. Uh, the chances to come back with a majority almost all but gone at this juncture. Um, that you know, Justin Trudeau will be tempted to start taking shots at Doug Ford again to draw a clear distinction between himself and the alternatives. Well, let me ask you this because you talk about the Liberals as smart campaigners. Uh, so, if you're a, what does a smart campaign look like? Uh, I won't say behind the eight ball, but let's say lagging in the polls, like you've said. I mean, Jasper, we know two weeks is is an eternity on a campaign trail. Yeah. What does a smart campaign look like over the next two weeks? And is a liberal majority still within reach? Do you think? Look, I think a smart campaign is a patient one. Uh, and from my experience and like what I've seen in the past, you know, patient campaigners uh, are the ones that tend to succeed. Right. And I think there's a, 
a desire or this, you know, human inclination of like just reacting to everything uh, with the, you know, equal force of a reaction, uh, which is not necessarily wise all the time. Like sometimes you just got to see things play out. And I think for Trudeau uh, and his team, like they're patient veteran campaigners. They've been through this before. They want a campaign where they were third place entering it. They want a campaign where those, you know, the blackface scandal, there was the We Charity scandal, which quite frankly still exists. Um, and, and they still came out with a minority. So these guys aren't, you know, don't don't underestimate Team Trudeau. Just, you know, don't underestimate them. Um, and that patience is probably what's going to help them kind of get through this. Now, is the majority still in the books? I think that's that's probably very difficult at this point. And it will require the conservatives to shoot themselves in the foot, which they're very apt at doing, uh, to shoot themselves in the foot over the course of this campaign to give it to the liberals, not necessarily people kind of pointing to the liberals and saying, this is the government we want at this juncture. It's kind of just what's the lesser of two evils at this point. Um, as far as you know, Trudeau in the last two weeks go, I think what Trudeau finally has, and he has the ability to kind of paint here, is a clear picture of why this election was called, right? So that's been like the overarching narrative of this campaign. If there's an election issue, it's it's why was this thing even called? You had a parliament that was willing to work with you, an opposition that didn't want this. A lot of what you've announced, you could have pulled off in the next two years with that minority government that the liberals enjoyed, which effectively acted like a majority, to be quite frank. You know, so why? what was the need of this other than a selfish game? Now I think you know Trudeau, First of all, I think Trudeau expected that to be like a one, two day issue, like news story, and then it'll move on. It's been a three week narrative arc. Now, does that continue for the next two weeks? And if it does, I think it's easier for Trudeau to say, look, we needed to call this thing because we saw what you're all seeing on the ground right now. This visceral kind of protest, you know, gravel or stone being thrown kind of, you know, scenes I don't think we necessarily ever uh, witnessed in Canada before or not to the scale that we're witnessing right now. Uh, you know, I needed the mandate. I needed to make it very clear to folks like this that I have the mandate from the people of Canada to continue with my mission and fighting COVID and what comes after it in the recovery. And I think Trudeau needs to really cleanly paint that picture if he wants a chance to come back with either a stronger minority, one that's not uh, beholden to, let's say, the NDP, you know, in a weaker minority kind of coalition government situation, or even a small, slim majority. Uh, and, you know, those... Those images and those videos, they keep coming and they, get, they keep getting worse. Uh, and I think a lot of folks are rightly fearful that this can escalate to even you know more dangerous levels uh, if nothing's done. Yeah, I mean, uh, I do think we're getting a clearer picture that it's the PPC that's kind of behind or supporters of the PPC, uh, which is, you know, to my final point here, you can't just ignore the PPC. <laughs> you can't ignore them. You can't just pretend they don't exist. I was just going to ask do you. They do exist. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean well, to step on your exist, toes there, right? but I mean, they exist. And and listen, you're a man in demand and I know we got to let you go. So let me make this the last question. Um, and I want to ask sort of about uh, spoilers here, potentially. Um, you know, you tweeted mm -hmm. you tweeted about electoral reform just a short time ago. I know that Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the federal NDP, is is obviously hammering uh, Trudeau on that. He's hitting him on child care. He's hitting him on pharmacare. And people will say, well, a vote for the NDP may be a, essentially a vote for the conservatives. That's sort of a, the, the idea of a split there. And I'm curious to know how much you think that the NDP or the People's Party of Canada, led by uh, uh, Maxime Bernier, and I'm not I'm not stacking them up as as equal players here at all. Uh, but you know, is a vote for the NDP a vote for the Conservatives, and is a vote for the PPC potentially a vote for the Liberals? Look, quite frankly, um, my feeling on this is that this is such like a bullshit. You're allowed to swear on this thing, right? Oh, yeah, you can say not? whatever. Uh, yeah. 
it's such it's such a bullshit kind of argument that's made in these like electoral talks and it really annoys me um because there is a solution to this and it's called you know electoral like democratic reforms which were promised by the trudeau liberals and you know lo and behold this was not that was not the last election under first past the post surprise surprise that there's actual legitimate solutions to this if you're so bothered by this and strategic voting really annoys me and i know it, it annoys a lot of progressives and annoys a lot of ndp supporters because why are we you know building up this false dichotomy that either you're helping the liberals or you're helping the conservatives and that's it that there's other there's other opinions and thoughts in this country that need to be provided the platforms uh, that are reflective of what the ground realities are uh, and a this anyone but conservative vote and the strategic voting where it's like you know if you support the NDP you're, you're just screwing over the liberals and bringing a conservative government uh, is BS uh, it's total BS uh, and what the reality is is that if you're an NDP supporter and their message resonates with you which is quite frankly different from the liberal platform then vote for the NDP and that's the liberals fault for not convincing you otherwise with their platform and with their with the themes of their campaign uh, and we saw yeah you saw it with pharmacare that was discussed in the last budget and lo and behold it's not in the current election platform of the liberals uh, you know the sick days uh, the kind of different products we saw over COVID a lot of that was driven by the NDP. Like we can't just dismiss that. Uh, and they serve a very important role in, in parliament. Uh, and quite frankly, they have every right to form government just as much right as any other party. Uh, and strategic voting is, is a total, uh, it's a lie. Don't believe in it. Uh, you vote for whoever you want and it's uh, on the liberals and it's their fault if they're now you know, trying to scaremonger people into strategic voting that they didn't bring in electoral reform when they promised to. Uh, Jasker and Singh said we're gonna have to bring you back and we're just getting started here and I'm loving your takes but I know you've got to go uh, a man in demand you've probably heard him on News Talk 1010 Canada Lens the Backbench CTV CBC and and Real Talk um, you know all on the same level right uh, we love that thanks oh, for 100% thanks 100%. for your time today my man it's nice to connect media is the future hey independent media is the future we know thanks for making time for us Thank you for having me. Take you care. You bet. Uh, Jasker, and by the way, is also the co-founder of Baz, which is a digital news outlet uh, for the global Sikh and Punjabi communities. The guy is a player when it comes to media. Um, he's got his uh, hands in a whole bunch of projects and really cool stuff. And uh, and I appreciate that. You've probably read his work if you recognize the byline in the Washington Post, the Toronto Star. Um, and uh, we're grateful to have had him here. The PPC, hey, the People's Party of Canada. I know that that uh, Maxime, <laughs> I'm just going, whoo, um, that, you know, people, uh, I, who was it? Was it Scott or somebody on our live chat? I saw that if you see somebody with an InfoWars sticker on a megaphone uh, at a Justin Trudeau event, you should probably keep an eye on them. Um, of course, the, the he's not the prime minister right now, but the leader of the federal liberal party, Justin Trudeau, on the campaign trail, as you mentioned, Sarah pelted with gravel as he was boarding a bus. Um, I know that there's been um, some controversy generated by Maxime Bernier that, you know, that he was not included, believed he should be included in the debates. And I know that a lot of people that support the People's Party of Canada have uh, have taken issue with that. I don't want to spend too much time on this. Um, I'm not quite sure what's going on with my childhood hero, uh, one of the greatest Calgary Flames of all time, Theron Fleury over the weekend. Yeah. as a matter of fact, maybe I'll just stay out of that. But I, I just I, I saw that Theo tweeted over the weekend that vaccine passports mean that pedophiles will understand where your kids are at all times, yeah. which just to me seemed like a bit of a public meltdown. And and Theo, I've, I've, I've spoken with Theo many times. I've played hockey with Theo. I mean, I've, I loved Theo growing up and and 
you know, he's had strong feelings and on on you know politics, and and he has very strong feelings against the prime minister. But it's sort of like he's jumped the shark, and uh, and I'm you know, and and some people over the weekend, and I concur. I agree with this, which is why I'm probably coming across like I'm choosing my words carefully here. Uh, people have said like, listen, the guy where he came from, the trauma that he endured, uh, these types of things. Um, you know, you got to kind of maybe not give him a pass, but you you sort of feel for him in a way. Uh, but at the same time, the guy's being revered, uh, you know, as, as he was proclaiming over the weekend, he's got these honorary degrees for his work in mental health and all these types of things. And it's like, I don't know what's going on right now with him. But the point of me invoking Theo, uh, Theo Fleury, is that over the weekend, he indicated he's well, he's done with the conservative party of Canada. He says he's voting for the people's party now. And uh, I sort of thought, you know, back to back um, tweeting. You know, as a as a, an Olympic gold medalist and a Stanley Cup champion, um, not in the Hall of Fame, not in the Hockey Hall of Fame, interestingly enough, um, you know, that you think that vaccine passports mean that pedophiles will be able to track down your kids and then announcing you're supporting the People's Party of Canada. Um, I, I'm not sure that that's an endorsement that Maxime Bernier wants. Uh, then again, you look at what flies are drawn to. Um, and I just you know, I mean, I, I when I was on terrestrial radio, Last federal election, you know, I, I, I basically I said to people like I'll buy lunch for whomever, uh, whoever wants to take me up on it. If the People's Party gets one seat because they won't, um, they're pulling around three percent right now, which is not nothing. Um, and you wonder if there might be I mean, I don't know if you would have a, a jurisdiction where the where the, the PPC candidate might split a conservative vote. I don't think so. I think it maybe means that in jurisdictions in Alberta and Saskatchewan where they'll see some support, it means that the conservative candidate will only win by 15,000 votes as opposed to 16,500 votes. Um, but it's a it's a party that I don't think can be ignored. And I'm not saying that in complimentary fashion that I believe that it's a party that you should keep an eye on. I'm saying it's a party you should like keep an eye on like police, uh, parents, people should keep an eye on. Uh, you know, you got to be careful painting with these broad brushes but uh, friends of mine that are card carrying members of the conservative party of canada are saying if you think it's us at these protests throwing rocks at the pm think again um and they're saying this is this is who's this is that this is the group the crew that that maxime bernier has been recruiting i've just been having a think a really nice hard long think around that point that was just made in that last interview like we we can't ignore them but what does that mean to not ignore them and not provide a platform for hate um if that's what it, they're they're speaking about or you know acting on so mm. i'm i'm for me the jury is still out i'm still trying to wrap my head around it um but i'm what more than anything i'm i'm very concerned one of the tweets i saw go out yesterday from one of their one of their folks was just like the mainstream media can ignore us and it just it really harkened back to trump at you know his inaugural yeah. speech saying these crowds are so huge they're not going to report on it and that they took a page out of that book and it's just to me it's <sighs> yeah this is interesting here. Someone's uh, and I'm sorry, I've lost the comment. I can't attribute it to you. Um, I wish I could give you credit. But somebody said the you know, the, the PPC is polling ahead of the Greens 
which is nuts. I don't think it's nuts. The Greens, I think the fact that if if anybody votes for the Green Party, I don't know what you're voting for if you're voting for the Green Party this election. It's no disrespect to people that would care about things like environmental policy, sustainability and the like. But Sam, I don't know about you. I mean, we had Anime Paul in the show and like two days later, I'm not. <laughs> what is it correlation not causation is that what i'm looking for is that the first time i'm not saying it's because she was on real talk but you know talk about a missed opportunity although we all know she would have canceled the interview two days later but we, we had her and i was impressed i mean i'm not going to say that i would or wouldn't vote for them all right i wouldn't vote for them but still i'm not you know, but i was impressed by her and we had an interesting conversation and then everything just went sideways and you know I'm I'm okay I'm perplexed for a couple of things I also was impressed with Miss Paul I really really yeah. was that interview was articulate she is whip smart she's smart she is she presents herself well and she's fighting with her own party I mean you know one of the criticisms been leveled at her quite a bit is that she hasn't left Toronto Center she's literally not left the riding that she's running in and when you peel back the curtain on that it's because she can't get travel funds out of her party yeah. like they basically have frozen her in place well, and the other thing I was going to say and I'm actually invoking a point that Corey Hogan made on the strategist a while ago is that I think the greens have a little bit of an identity crisis because there was a time where they were the sole party that held environmental issues as their main objective. And now if you don't have an environmental policy, you're just not a credible party on any front. So the one issue that the greens used to rally around is a little more widespread nowadays. And, and I, I think, yeah, people are kind of, uh, coming to an awakening um, <laughs> I'm approaching with caution here because I realizing what I'm doing is I don't want to come across and say if you are a PPC supporter you are this or if you're a Green Party supporter you are this because I don't think it's fair and I don't think it's accurate Yeah, not accurate you know I mean there's a guy that lives on my street that I get along with quite famously as a matter of fact and uh, up until the election day or I, I voted advanced polls but he was the PPC candidate. And I was like, what? Because like, I don't know why I'm saying no offense. As a matter of fact, if you're voting PPC, give your head a shake. But but this guy is like, he's a nice guy. You know, our sons play together and all this, you know, so I, I think of a guy like him where I go, he's, he's not. He's a nice guy to you. He's a nice guy to me. <laughs> but I mean, if you, hey, listen, if you hitch your wagon to a certain horse, I mean, you know. I'm going to stop the metaphor there because it was going to get all confusing. But if the horse has a mind of its own and it's all over the place, your wagon's along for the ride. Yeah. And that's kind of. And, and so when it comes to the greens and we asked Anime Paul about this, if you missed that interview, I encourage you to go back and listen to it um, and to track it down. You can find it in our podcast archives. You can find it on our YouTube archive, of course. And, and while you're there, subscribe. And, and thanks so much for those of you that subscribe and, and smash the like button when you're enjoying the show. But I asked Anime Paul about that, about that that kind of underbelly where everybody thinks, not everybody, but a lot of people think that the Greens are these kind of, you know, left-leaning Birkenstock and wool sock wearing tree huggers, you know, like Hoyles. Um, I'm just kidding, my friend. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Um, I saw the shot and I took it. No, but you know what I'm saying, right? Everybody think, oh, the Greens are the ones that are like, they're going to protect the planet. There, there's a lot of people kind of the libertarian, really yeah. right-wing element of the Green Party. That's um, a big tent. It is. It's probably the biggest tent, like yeah. legitimately, because you do have the, the left leaning hippies and then you also have the hardcore right wingers. And I asked her about that and about racism in the party. And a lot of people have suggested, you know, legitimate political commentators that what's happening to Anime Paul 
may have and quite likely does have some roots in racism that are deeply seated within the party. Now, someone's going to come at me and say, what are you calling every Green Party supporter a racist? Obviously not. But I think there are very real problems in that party that demand to be addressed. You mentioned the strategist. I'm happy to announce to Real Talkers that Zane Velji, Corey Hogan, and Stephen Carter will be joining us on the show. Uh, a strategist roundtable coming up on Friday, September 17th. So that's about a week and a half from now. And I'm very much looking forward to that. Our conversation, by the way, thanks to Sarah with Anime Paul was on June 9th. And so that's the show that you're looking for. Uh, let me take a moment to let you know how grateful I was to be able to swing by St. Albert Dodge before we headed out to the mountains this weekend. Uh, you know, I've been loving that Grand Cherokee that I've been driving, but sometimes you got to level up because we were bringing like bikes and golf clubs and two dogs and doggy beds. And all right, I'll be honest. We brought our espresso machine. I'll be honest. And I said to Brad, who's the GM out at St. Albert Dodge, I said, I'm just not going to be able to fit it all in the Grand Cherokee. And he said, well, what about the Ram 1500 Classic Warlock? You've seen it. It's parked outside right now. Warlock. The (laughs) Warlock. Justin Sorensen, former CFL All-Star. I posted a photo of it on my Twitter if you want to see it. The photo just went nuts. I think it was because Wyatt Rudy was there wearing his Canadian tuxedo. It was so cute. I think that's why everybody liked the photo. But Sorensen's like, is that a warlock? He's like, I have a warlock. I love it. Well, now I love it, too. It's got that 5.7 liter Hemi. It's an absolutely beautiful truck. The crew cab, unbelievable. Now, they don't have a ton of them. And the fact of the matter is, is that no dealership has a ton of trucks right now. There's supply issues we've been talking to you about. But they got better selection than anybody else. And part of that is because they share inventory at the two dealerships. You can find Ram trucks, the 1500, the 2500, the 3500 heavy haulers, and of course the full lineup of Jeeps, the most trusted SUV brand since 1941 at our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Also wanted to remind you how proud we are to partner with the team at Kubi Energy. I was talking to Jake just a while ago. I said, do you guys scale things down when the weather starts to turn? He's like, no, man. In part because they have an office out of Kamloops year-round they're doing solar installs industrial commercial and residential applications they're tesla certified installers or either journeyman apprentices uh or journeyman with their tickets and so you've got the business there that you can trust you can find them online at kubienergy.ca every week our first show of the week this week obviously it's a tuesday after the labor day long weekend kubi energy gives us a chance to kick things off on the right foot a little feature we love to call positive reflections. Now we've got an exciting interview coming up this week with a Paralympian. Is that tomorrow, Sarah? Can you remind me? It's coming up later this week. Thursday. Thursday. So excited for that. Of course, the Paralympics ended on September 5th, and this is such a good news story from Lindsay, who submitted this as you have to mention on Positive Reflections, the story of Canada's Paralympian Nate Reich, who closed it out with style, racing to a gold medal in the men's T-38 1500-meter final. Uh, This was the Paralympic debut for Nate, uh, the 26-year-old reigning world champion and world record holder. Now, Canada did fantastic at the Paralympics, and we'll be celebrating that week, uh, th- that this week. But we wanted to let you know that Nate also set a new T38 Paralympic record in that distance, finishing in three minutes and 58.92 seconds. Not 59, 58.92 
two seconds. Look at that. The face says it all. Congratulations to Nate Reich, a proud Canadian Paralympian. We salute you and all of our athletes that made our country so very proud. And I know that this may not translate for those of you that are listening on the podcast. You're going to have to swing on by and check this out on YouTube. It's worth it. We couldn't help ourselves. Sarah tracked this video down. We gleefully enjoyed it earlier this morning. Who doesn't love jumping goats? And who doesn't love goats jumping on solar panels? We thought it was a nice fit for Positive Reflections. Our friends at Kubi Energy, if this doesn't put you in a good mood, I don't know what will. Enjoy it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take the passion and the fuel that you're feeling and uh, channel it in the direction where you can make a real impact. That includes emails and notes to us to talk at ryanjesperson.com. If someone's made your day, if there's been a random act of kindness or an experience that you had, something you saw or heard about that you think real talkers need to know about, send it to us in an email on Twitter and make sure you designate it for positive reflections. Tomorrow's show is going to be a great one. We've got a ton in store, including Dr. Jennifer Jackson, uh, who's going to talk about COVID impacts on healthcare staffing. We're going to learn uh, some indigenous perspectives on the federal election. Of course, we'll take you out to the mountains with a special edition of My Jasper Memories. And we're going to learn more about this mailbox for Dr. Peter Bryce at the National Cemetery of Canada. Remember him? The author of that scathing report back in 1907 that took heavy shots at Canada's then young legacy of residential schools. Well, it's aged remarkably. Dr. Peter Bryce, a national hero. That initiative, we'll get into it on Wednesday's Real Talk. In the meantime, make it a great Tuesday. Thanks for hanging out with us today, friends, and we'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer Sarah Hoyles, technical producer Sam Brooks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Tanya Franklin, Merchandise Operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.